to the latest episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Schimpoli, News Director, APPA. We're joined today by David Wade, President and CEO of Tennessee's EPV. David, thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here, Paul. Great. So, David, um, I had a lot of questions for you on a, on a pretty wide range of, of things related to EPB. Um, one of the things uh, in, in researching EPB is the uh, this microgrid project um, that involves a, a new collaborative uh, between the city of Chattanooga and EPB um, that's under construction. Could you talk about that and in what ways will the microgrid project um, benefit customers of EPB? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, we're we're privileged to have a great working relationship with our our community and our city of Chattanooga is one of those tremendous partners. And what what we're doing is taking uh, an area where the the police service center and the fire service center is, and we're adding uh, solar, we're adding storage, and we're adding uh, you know a a LP gas generation as well. To, to turn it into a microgrid that's able to keep those critical assets operating, you know, in the time of need. If, you know, and even in the most extreme conditions, you know, you, you want your police and your fire services centers operating. And in the past, they did so with just simply a, a backup generator. And we, we were partnering together with them in a way that, you know, Makes it makes it much more sustainable than just a, a diesel backup generator. It primarily uses solar, and we get the benefits of the environmentally friendly uh, carbon-free solar every day of the year. Uh, we incorporated uh, storage, and that way we use the storage every day and every month uh, to help with our our wholesale power costs and help manage uh, the the generation side of the house, even though we don't we don't own the generation, but being able to, you know, work with uh, our generators uh, with storage is a is a big value. So we're looking at both the daily value and the ability to have that level of resiliency when uh, in the most extreme conditions. Any thoughts, or is it too early to say in terms of other possible microgrid projects? You know, I think we'll continue to do these. We we have just uh, recently completed one that was at the airport, and the reason we chose the airport in the very first microgrid we built is they had installed three megawatts of solar, and so uh, going out and coupling storage and generation and the the control schemes with a existing solar, you know, is a good place for us to build, especially on these critical assets like airports and, you know, fire uh, fire service and police service centers, you know, in a way that really helps the entire community because these critical assets are important to our entire community. And it's uh, part of it is a build on the investment we made back in the 2009-10 timeframe when we put in both the fiber optic network, but in doing so, we also put in uh, 1,200 automated switches on our distribution network and really effectively divided our distribution network into, you know, a small network. You know, so we're using these uh, interrupters and our automated switches that are about a megawatt in size each to be the dynamic boundary for our microgrid. So, 
you know, for instance, if if the sun and we predict the solar radiance, the battery storage, and then the the generation and the duration, we make some predictions algorithmically, and, and then decide how big of an area we can serve based on the real time load and the projected load over the next several hours or days. So earlier this year, um, independent research uh, revealed that $2.69 billion uh, in community benefits uh, during uh, the first 10 years since EPB built the country's first gig speed community-wide network. Um, So could you talk about um, additional details uh, in terms of the community benefits and how the network has been used to establish an advanced uh, smart grid power distribution system? Yeah, certainly. It's... uh you know, it's been a, a tremendous uh, benefit to our community. And, you know, having uh, just going back and looking at things that occurred that were way uh, above what we even projected. Right. One of the things I, I mentioned a second ago is the automation. When we when we really put the fiber out, we knew we had unlimited communications then and layering on that uh, the automation. You know, we projected seeing a 40% improvement in in reliability. In effect, we've seen a, probably closer to a 55% reduction in outages and outage duration, which, you know, as we all know, plays a big benefit to, to our community itself. But the other pieces of it that are that are really big is what it's done for our community in terms of economic development. You know, when... Um, you know, I think when you look at it, this uh, the study would say that, you know, there's like 9,500 jobs that, you know, our fiber network was played a role in bringing to our community. And uh, that sounds huge. And when you think about that, it sounds sometimes I think it even sounds hard to believe. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you one quick example of that. You know, I was at an event uh a little while back, and two gentlemen came to me, and these gentlemen introduced themselves, and they said, you know, EPV is the reason we're in Chattanooga. And I said, well, how's that? They were from Miami, Florida, and had put together a maritime business. They started a business where they they assimilate data from certain geospatial locations, and they send it real-time to ships that are at sea. And, and that's their business model. And they said, you know, we started looking and we knew we wanted to be in a community that had fiber. And that's the only reason we narrowed down and Chattanooga became one of the communities we look, we were looking at. And then when we came up and visited with Chattanooga and saw what, what was available from a technology perspective, what was available from a quality of life perspective, you know, uh, that we could, uh, we knew we had both the communications and the power reliability we located in Chattanooga. So it's uh, it's been a huge benefit to our community, you know, both in terms of what it's done with our electric system and having the communications available for, for use by businesses as well. Just uh, switching gears here in terms of uh, the pandemic, obviously, um, you know, as you know, Utilities, whether they're cooperatives or public power or investor-owned utilities, have, have faced a, a number of challenges that were that are unexpected as a result of the pandemic. And, and one of the things that um, I've I've been asking public power CEOs and general managers on the podcast is 
if they could offer any insights in terms of are there any um, lessons learned uh, from in terms of customer service as a result of the pandemic? You know, I think when I think about lessons learned, I, I don't know that that I totally would say this is a necessarily something that we didn't know. It may be more of some of the stuff that we knew, but it really was reinforced significantly during the past year. And I think the biggest one of those is how important it is that your community trusts you, you know, and, and that, that, that trust is so, so important, whether you're talking about this past year, we had uh, some significant in, in 2020, we had, or I guess it was 20, we had significant tornadoes come through the area and and the community having trust in you the community trusting us when we and us having a trust back when we stopped uh disconnecting that we would be able to recapture that data and you know and our and that that value and our community stood forward but i think the one that stands out in my mind is this year or last year when when covid struck we had a need for the community around those in our community, those students going home needing access to the Internet. And a lot of them couldn't afford access to the Internet, even though we had fiber in front of their apartments or their homes or whatever they were, wherever they were living. And, you know, the amazing thing about it was we worked with the public sector, the city, the county, the school system, the private sector. We had uh, businesses that donated a million dollars, anywhere from hundreds of dollars to a million dollars. And and the, and the philanthropic organizations that stepped up. And together, we raised over $8 million to make digital access and 300 meg internet connections available to every student on free and reduced lunch in our school system, not just during the pandemic, but for the for the entire for the entire foreseeable future. And I think that goes back. The only way you can do that is having the trust of the community. And so I think trust is one of those big things that really stuck out at me more so than ever this year is the community trust us. And, and we trust our community back in a way that uh, creates a value in both directions. And then I, I think the the other piece of that that is to don't uh, that I that I that I think really was a learning in that for me is don't, don't underestimate asking the community to join forces with you. As you know, the the beauty of being part of public power is that. Our, our mission is to make our communities better. And, you know, there are lots of other folks in here, and we're not really in competition with them. We should, at times, join forces so we can do something even bigger and more impactful for our community. Now, you um, you started your career with EPB in, in the early 1980s as a line mm -hmm. hunter, and and now you're president and CEO. So I wanted to take the opportunity to... to to, to ask you if you could kind of maybe give us uh, give us some details on that journey, what it's been like. Well, it's uh, 
It's definitely been a surprising journey. I certainly didn't have my sights on becoming uh, president and CEO when I joined EPB uh, as a groundman. And, and back in the early 80s, I, you know, my sights were becoming a lineman, which I, was a tremendous career path and and thought, thought I fully thought when I joined EPB, I would retire from here as a lineman or a line foreman. And that was a what a what a great career that would have been, uh, you know. And then the world changes, and sometimes, and you know, I was uh, started here when it was before I started. I was expecting to maybe be a groundman for a year or two, then start the apprentice program. And right after I started, they uh, the company froze the apprentice program and really didn't hire apprentices for a pretty good while. And uh, it was eight years that I was a groundman, and uh, you know I ended up learning a lot during those eight years. I ended up, uh, you know, just uh, really trying to absorb all I could absorb. But I was still uh, was eight years before I started the apprentice program. Uh, I started the apprentice program and was progressing through the apprentice program. And on my final year of the apprentice program. As I was uh, getting close to topping out as a lineman, uh, the, the department manager came to me and uh, and he said, uh, "You know, we've got a job opening for someone designing engineering work for line crews in our engineering area, and we would like to have some folks with field experience over there, and think you would be great at that." Uh, it was one of the toughest decisions that, that I had ever made because I, I was so close to topping out as a lineman, which was at that time my career goal. and never thought about an opening in engineering at all. So I spent some time thinking about it and ultimately decided that was, uh, that was the right move for me to do. And I started going back, uh, back to school at night at that point in time and, you know, and over several years, uh, you know, went back and got my engineering degree, uh, you know, progressed from there to uh, a little while later back to the construction area, scheduling work and then into some areas of supervision and later had an opportunity to, to manage a process improvement uh, group that really uh, looked at uh, how we do business across our entire organization. And, and that was a uh, quite an experience, really getting to think about things from a big picture, holistic perspective. Uh, and then uh, shortly after that, had a, uh, was a, moved into the role of a vice president of engineering and construction and later chief operating officer. And five years ago, the, the president and CEO. It, it's been a, uh, I don't think I, it's been a journey that I never really uh, planned, but it's been a quite a fulfilling journey. And certainly having the opportunity to see what goes on throughout our entire organization has given me a perspective that's immensely valuable. It's also given me a a insight into the value that every part of our organization provides. You know, when, when you when you see how, how valuable it is for everybody, whether it's the person that's 
the initial contact on the phone or the folks out there, you know, building lines or or, or engineering or whatever perspective it is, uh, I've had an opportunity to see it from so many levels that it's gave, given me a, a tremendous appreciation for the work that our great folks do all across our organization. Just to wrap things up, um, wanted to give you the chance to talk about your uh, current priorities as president and CEO. Yeah, I think the when you think about it, we're in a unique time in our, and I think in a, in our in the electric industry. You know, I think we're in a time where the, I think the next ten to twenty years will be uh, filled with more change than the last eighty years have been filled with. And certainly the end of my career is going to be filled with more change than the start of my career. And I think, uh, you know, when I look at it as uh, CEO of the organization, the biggest opportunity we have is to make sure our organization is prepared for those changes. You know, we're we're moving to a, a different world tomorrow. We're moving to a world that's, that's much more automated. We're moving to a world where, you know, climate change and, and we're moving to a carbon-free world. We're moving to a world where uh, electrification of vehicles and everything we decide, every decision we make either brings us closer to those worlds or further away from those. So I, I think our, my biggest priority is make sure organizationally that we are always looking forward five or 10 years and the things that we do today are positioning us towards the direction that we're headed. And I think that creating that organizational culture probably is uh, my biggest priority here today. So a follow-up if I could. Um, so, so with respect to, to all the, the changes that the power sector is undergoing that you mentioned, um, with, in terms of uh, the public power sector, um, how is the sector, in your view, uh, positioned effectively to respond to those changes? Uh, certainly, it's a, it's in position. I think the public power sector is positioned to respond to those changes much easier and much better than than the investor-owned. Uh, power sector for sure you know because our drivers really are how do we how do we change in a way that's good for our community you know when you look at the uh the private sector oftentimes the drivers are how do i maximize my short-term profit and what's happening at the next quarterly business a quarterly uh earnings section and when when you're in a role as public power, we have a responsibility that's both a privilege and pretty humbling that that we are responsible to to really make our communities thrive, and, and that allows us, I think, sometimes more of a freedom to look forward at a in a longer period. I think sometimes it gives us a opportunity to think about things just in a totally different, different venue. You know, I think it would have, uh, you know, even stuff like putting in the automation and the fiber that we did in 2019 as, you know, it had a short-term benefit, but the real benefit is in the long run, it helps us be prepared for where the world's headed. 
And I think just the public power sector is just blessed and uh, with this humbling responsibility to make our communities better that sets us apart from the private industry. It's a great way to end our conversation. Uh, so, David, thanks thanks again so much for, for taking the time out of your day to speak with us. Um, and as, as with all of our other guests, uh, I extend to you an open invitation to return as a guest uh, at some point in the future. I'm sure we'll have a lot to discuss. So thanks again. Uh, great to talk with you, Paul.